0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 36. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, excuse me, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long away. From the land beaten by the waves from the wind, was against them, and in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, "It is a ghost," and they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, "Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid." and Peter answered him, "Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water." He said, "Come." and Gennesaret and when the men of that place recognized him they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well this is the word of the Lord
1: good morning uh, my name is Mark So I'm one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to be uh, bringing the Word of God to you this morning, and uh, I just pray that God would uh, reveal His Word to us this morning, and that uh, we might be shown uh, something about the nature of God and who we are as, as His people, who we are as, as uh, those who have been redeemed by, by the Lord. So today we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And my intent this morning is to just dive into this this passage which Jason just read. And we're going to closely examine uh, this word to see what we can learn about our Lord and what we can learn about ourselves in the process. So last week we learned about the great miracle that Jesus performed Uh, with his disciples when he converted just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread into uh, uh, enough food to be able to feed a group of uh, 5,000 men plus women and children. Today's text relates of yet another miracle which was performed by Jesus, but this time only his disciples were present. So there's a lot, though, that we can learn um, about God from this passage of Scripture. And so I'm excited to to look at that with you today. So after the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, uh, Jesus commanded his disciples to get into a boat and cross over the Sea of Galilee uh, without him. Now, the disciples had just witnessed uh, an incredible miracle, how Jesus had taken this little bit of food that they brought him, and he had turned it into a buffet big enough to feed thousands of people. Now, this miracle had no doubt astounded the entire crowd that was there, uh, including, I believe, his disciples as well. But upon gathering up the leftover pieces of, uh, of food that was uh, remaining and filling up 12 baskets uh, with the leftovers, uh, there was going to be there was no time for fanfare or celebration. Matthew tells us that Christ immediately made the disciples get into the boat. Now this indicates that perhaps the disciples really didn't want to get into a boat at that time and place. And we can easily imagine why this might have been the case. Why leaving so quickly was was difficult and why Jesus had to command them to go. First of all, we can imagine that they were tired after having spent an entire day ministering to people and then feeding thousands and thousands of people, uh, the idea of getting into a boat and rowing four or five miles at dusk, knowing that they would be well uh, into the night before before getting to where they were going, probably seemed a bit overwhelming to them at the time. Secondly, being that some of them were seasoned fishermen, they probably had an idea that a storm was brewing. Perhaps the wind was beginning to blow, and they knew based on their experience on the sea as fishermen that it wouldn't be long and the sea would be turning pretty nasty. But thirdly, this was a great moment, and the multitudes that were there were finally recognizing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And they were, they were stirring amongst themselves that he should be crowned king. We know that from John's Gospel when he gives us the same account of this uh, miracle that after Jesus fit, after the, 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 the uh, people had eaten, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Based on what we know about the disciples, they likely were thinking about the positions of influence that they would have in a Jesus Christ administration. After all, they had been traveling with Jesus around the countryside for the past several years, learning at his feet, seeing his power firsthand, even having received power from him to perform many of the same miracles in the same works that Jesus had done. Healing diseases, casting out demons, and so forth. Certainly, they must have imagined that they would be accorded um, some important role in in Christ's kingdom. But even though Jesus had come to establish a kingdom, it wasn't the crowd's prerogative to crown him. His kingdom would be established uh, not only by his perfect life of righteousness and holiness, but by his very suffering and death on a Roman cross, the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body, a path to kingship that very few in this crowd, including his disciples, would readily understand or accept. But despite their reluctance, these disciples were obedient to the command of Christ, and they got on the boat and they set off toward that little... Area of land called Gennesaret. Meanwhile, after the disciples had gotten on the boat, Jesus dismisses the crowd. And Matthew tells us he went up on the mountain to pray by himself, and when evening came, he was there alone. Now, Jesus did this often. He would leave his disciples, he would leave uh, the crowds, and he would take breaks from his work to be alone with his father, to to uh, spend time in prayer with him. Something that really should mark the life of every devoted follower of Christ is also spending time alone with God in prayer. And we can imagine that he prayed for himself while he was there. He prayed for his ministry. He, he prayed for what was yet to come in his lifetime, for the work that lay before him. It's possible that he was still also praying against the temptation that he had just faced from the crowd, that he would be crowned king and that he could in this way avoid the cross that was still before him. We can also imagine that he spent some time praying for his disciples, for each of them. I believe each of them by name. I wonder what exactly did his prayer for Peter look like that evening. Do you suppose that Christ, as he prayed, for increasing faith in his disciples. Also, um, specifically, um, prayed for Peter that evening that his faith might experience growth that night. We do know that near the end of Christ's earthly ministry, he did address Peter, and he called him Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. As Christ was alone, praying on the mountain, the disciples were in their boat. A long way from land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. They had all experienced a violent storm together before. We know that from Matthew chapter 8. They had been terrified that time as well. But that time, Jesus was right there with them in the boat. All they had to do was go to him and wake him up. And then he got up, he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the waves, and the storm ceased. But this time, they're in the boat alone. For some reason, Jesus had chosen to stay behind this time, sending them ahead all by themselves. Storm had pushed the boat out farther than they had planned to go. A lot farther than they should have been. The wind was howling. The waves were rocking. and The men on the boat were nervous, wishing that Jesus was there with them. As the night got later and the storm grew more and more severe, the men on the boat seemed to forget the words that David had written in Psalm 139 where he promises, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. They should have also remembered Psalm chapter 9 verse 9, where David writes, "The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. But all of these promises and more from the Old Testament were forgotten as the wind and the waves tossed them about in the middle of the sea. They even forgot to trust in Jesus' own words that he had told them himself, that a child of God need not be anxious about anything and that God knows all of our needs, even before we ask them. And when he told them this, he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of much more value than many sparrows. In that moment, all they could think about was their own danger. All they could think about was their own fear. Are you like the disciples? Do you forget sometimes to lean on the promises of God when you are going through the storms of your own life? I know that I often do. But Jesus never forgets about us, as he did not forget about the 12 who were alone in the dark, and he came to them through the very storm that threatened to destroy them. Suddenly in the dark, perhaps illuminated by a small shaft of moonlight through some broken clouds, they see, they see something, something which they at first believed to be a ghost or a spirit walking on the waves in the midst of the storm. It was a fourth watch of the night, Matthew tells us, which means that it was between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. They had been on this boat now for over nine hours. They were tired. They were nervous. But now they were terrified. And they cried out in fear. But Matthew tells us that immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you... Can command me to come out to you on the water. What a relief this must have been for the disciples. This was no ghost walking on the water. This was their Savior. Now, Peter is an interesting disciple. Uh, He's probably one of my favorites. He was often a naturally brash and overconfident guy. And more than once, this has gotten him into trouble even with Jesus himself. But it wasn't his brashness that caused him to want to go out into the water. Not this time. Being a seasoned fisherman, uh, he had probably been thrown off the boat more than once as he sailed in the sea in the midst of storms. And so his desire to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm had to be based on faith that He would be more secure with Jesus out in the waves than he was on that boat. Now, according to Bible scholars, a more correct take on Peter's answer is Lord, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Not if it is you. In other words, Peter is not expressing doubt about whether or not this really is Jesus on the water. He's expressing his faith in in the words he just heard from the person standing on the waves. And his first desire is to be near him. And he doesn't just jump into the water to swim over to where Jesus is. He asks for a command to go to Jesus. At that moment, getting out of the boat and going out in the waves seemed like a better option for Peter because it meant being with Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't come out there in the ways while the disciples were in the boat to teach them how to walk on water. That wasn't His purpose. He came to demonstrate that He was willing to do whatever necessary to rescue His children. He didn't have to walk on the water to rescue them either. He could have just appeared on the boat right next to them, calling the storm, And they could have finished their journey on the boat. Or He could have just stayed on the mountain where He was praying and calmed the storm from where He was. But He came to them on the water to leave forever in their minds and in ours the extent to which He will go to bring us relief from the storm. No matter what the storm is in our lives, we will never be in a place where Jesus cannot find us Or cannot rescue us he promises to protect his own whom he will never fail or forsake now this should give us hope God's people have no real reason to fear although we may have often anxiety in our life we have no real reason for it no matter how hopeless and threatening our problems seem to be we all face storms in life Some more than others. But all of us suffer at one point or another in some way. But despite how bleak our situation may seem, how dark the night, or how great the waves, we are never beyond our Father's care. Now we know that Peter's request came out to Jesus the request that he said when he said, Command me to come to you. That it was not a bad or a sinful desire. Because Jesus answers Peter's request with just one word. Come. And that's all it took for Peter to get out of the boat. And before the other disciples had a chance to say a word, Peter was out on the water doing what Jesus was doing. Walking on the waves. I'm not sure how close Peter got to Jesus before he began to sink. Matthew seems to indicate that he got all the way to Jesus. But perhaps he was only a few steps into it. Before he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to doubt. And he began to sink. Because he began to focus on the wind. It says when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! How much does this describe? Exactly what happens to us when we, in the middle of the storms of our own lives, take our eyes off of Jesus and focus instead on the circumstances causing our storm, the storm going on in our lives. We begin to sink. The dark and turbulent waters of unbelief, despair, hopelessness, and misery begin to pull us down. But this text shows us that just as Peter called out to Jesus to save him, Jesus is never far from us and is willing and is able to reach out His hand and to save us whenever we call out to Him. Jesus immediately reaches out His hand and took a hold of Peter and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The response from Jesus was instantaneous he immediately reached out and saved him from sinking. One thing that this text proves to us is that you don't have to be God to walk on water. Peter certainly isn't God, wasn't God. But you have to have some faith. Jesus has perfect faith. That's why he could walk on water all day long and not sink. Peter had something close to great faith for a little while. But then he doubted and began to sink. Now, the disciples at times astounded Jesus with their lack of faith. Matthew describes later in his Gospel the time that a man came to Jesus with a son suffering from epilepsy, hoping that Jesus would heal him. And it says this beginning in verse 14 of Matthew 17. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him. And he said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon And it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Why couldn't we cast him out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So in reality, It's not even great faith that God works with to do good works, to do great works, to do even miraculous works. It's faith like a grain of mustard seed, which as you know, is not very big. According to Jesus, if you have this much faith, or this little faith, however you look at it, nothing will be impossible for you. Imagine the possibilities if only we had this little bit of faith. You see... Peter was able to walk on water so long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. That's when his faith was strong. At that point, nothing was impossible for him. I mean, he was doing what seems impossible. He was walking on water. But as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, he doubted. His faith waned, and he began to sink. I pray that we might be given this kind of faith. But I know that many of you don't want it. Because this kind of faith can only be had as a result of going through storms. Why do you think Jesus had the twelve go out to sea when He knew that there was a storm coming? He knew they would be experiencing fear, doubt, anxiety. But it was only by being obedient to the command of Jesus, by getting into that boat, setting out to Gennesaret and experiencing the storm, that Jesus was able to rescue them from their peril and build their faith in Him. So remember, when you experience storms in life, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're outside the will of God. These apostles on the boat were rowing in obedience to Christ when they experienced suffering. And God used that suffering to build their faith their trust, and their reliance upon Christ. So it is with us. If we are obedient to the mission to which we are called to by Christ, we too are going to experience storms. That's the one thing that we are guaranteed when we receive this salvation. Now Peter, the very one who walked on those waves himself, later, realizing even more what this suffering would entail and what it means in the life of a Christian, he wrote in his epistle. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But suffering can also happen in your life because of your own sin. And against that, Peter also warns us. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Then Matthew tells us, and when they got into the boat, when Jesus and Peter got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So after they got in the boat, the storm was over. The disciples' faith was brought to a new level of awareness of who Jesus is. And for the first time, they worshipped him as the Son of God. This was a new revelation for them. Even though they had heard, they heard God Himself proclaim from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So they had heard that. They had never themselves expressed that to Him in worship before. This sudden increase in faith was given to them as a direct result of having gone through a storm and experiencing rescue by Jesus. Faith that is not tested remains weak. But those who put themselves obediently on the boat of mission, knowing they will face storms, will witness the miraculous, have their faith strengthened, and their knowledge of Jesus as Savior and their love for Him as Lord increased. How do you find yourself this morning? Are you on the boat? Have you had the privilege to experience the storms that increase your faith? and bring you closer to Jesus? Or have you resisted getting on board because you so fear the storms and you're not sure that you would survive? I pray this morning's text will embolden you to put your fear aside and trust that Jesus will never be far from you no matter where you go. And don't think that being on the boat of mission means that you'll have to sell your home, and take your family to a faraway land to preach the gospel uh, to people who have never heard of Jesus and who speak a language that doesn't even have an alphabet. Maybe someone here will get that call. And I hope someone does. And I know some are. But, but it doesn't always work itself out like that. Getting For for most of us, getting on the boat simply means that we begin to view our neighbors, our co-workers, or our family members who don't know Jesus as our mission field. And we begin to pray for them, love them, and serve them, and pray for them, and love them, and serve them. And just as the disciples didn't all get on individual boats to cross the sea, We do our best work in community. That is one of the purposes that we have for our road groups, our small groups that gather outside of our Sunday service, to do mission together. Now, granted, we are still learning as a church what this looks like and how to best go about doing this, but after having the SOMA conference here about a month ago, we have a better idea how it should happen. And this is something that we will be focusing on in the near future and communicating that with all of you. So then Matthew tells us that when they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. Finally, they got to where they were going, an area of land called Gennesaret. This was a small but very beautiful plain that was located on the uh, western shore of of, uh, the Sea of Galilee between Capernaum, Capernaum and Magdala. It was a lush and fertile area that was devoted to Farming, so there were no homes or town, or there were no cities or towns in that in that particular area. There were some that were fairly close by, but not right where they landed. So they grew a wide variety of crops there. Um, it was a quiet, peaceful region. Uh, it was a good place to rest and to retreat, and uh, perhaps Jesus was thinking that he'd be able to spend a little time alone with his disciples there. And just to kind of rest and maybe you know uh debrief a little bit about what they had witnessed, what they had experienced, but again, Jesus' plan was interrupted by crowds and crowds of people who come to him uh, bringing all their sick and all their ill but apparently or so apparently <clears throat> the word had gotten out, and so Once the word got out, more and more people went out and told people, and they began to bring uh, their sick to him. Now Jesus had previously, in the last several years, in that same area healed many, perhaps thousands of people already. But apparently there were still many who uh, were still suffering from various afflictions. Perhaps they had heard of the time when Jesus had healed this woman who had a hemorrhage of blood, um, the woman who had been healed simply by touching the hem of his garment. So they also came believing that if they just touched the fringe of his garment, they would be healed. Whatever their motives or whatever their thinking was, Jesus had compassion on them. And he honored their expression of faith and he healed, Matthew says, all, or as many as touched, His garment were made well. Isn't that amazing? It would be great now, wouldn't it, if all of these people who came and experienced what Jesus was doing, those who either witnessed the healings or those who were healed themselves, um, if they became devoted followers of Christ, devoted disciples. But we know from John's Gospel, when John describes the the, uh, time after Jesus had fed the multitude of 5,000, um, that Jesus offered himself as the bread of life, come down from heaven. That if you eat of this bread, he told them, this heavenly bread, he says, you will never hunger again. He says, if you drink of this heavenly drink, you will never thirst again. Many were offended by that when they learned what it really meant to drink, to eat the heavenly bread and to drink the heavenly drink. And many of them were, they left. They they no longer were interested. Like many today who love God only for what's available on his table, rather than for loving him for who he is, most of the multitude wanted little to do with Jesus after he had healed them. Jesus was grieved that the people only wanted physical healing when he really was offering spiritual healing. But he didn't withhold the physical healing from them. Despite their ingratitude and their selfishness, their superficiality, he mercifully healed them in order to reveal to them and to the world the compassionate heart of God. Now it was only a year later that the multitudes of people that were there that day and many others would choose a murderer named Barabbas to be released from prison instead of Jesus. This decision that the people made put Jesus firmly on the course of suffering the most horrible death this world has ever known. After three years of loving, healing, and deeply caring for the people of Israel, he was rejected, he was beaten, he was spit upon, and he was nailed to the cross. Among his final words before he died were these, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. After he died, he was buried, but on the third day, he rose again. For the next 40 days, he was with his disciples, encouraging them, comforting them, and instructing them. And then he ascended into heaven. But before he did, he left his disciples with these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was the mission command that Jesus gave His disciples the last time they seen Him face to face. They obediently carried it out for the rest of their lives on earth, which for many of them wasn't very long. Through their obedience, the early Christian church exploded. Through their obedience, they turned the world upside down. 2,000 years later, for us today. The mission command remains the same. We are to continue till that day when we get the chance to see Him face to face. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are humbled as Your children to be given the same mission that You gave Your original disciples. Father, we know that it's only through your Spirit, through your Holy Spirit, that you equip and that you enable any of us to be on mission for you. Father, for many of us, there's a, there's a real and certain fear of what it means to get on the boat. And for, for many of us, there's also the fear of, of getting out of the boat.